from 90.5 WESA, this is The Confluence, where the news comes together. I'm Kevin Gavin. Mayor Ed Ganey has said one of his primary goals is to make Pittsburgh the safest city in the country. Improvement, but we still got a long way to go. We said that coming in, we would improve every month. If you look at the crimes, particularly for homicide, it's down in the city. It's also down downtown. So in regards to homicides, we've been able to reduce them. We get a progress report on his plan for peace and implementing recommendations of the police staffing study. The mayor also wants to create an office of equal protection while consolidating city operations under his office. Coming up, a conversation with Mayor Ed Ganey. The Confluence starts now. It's the Confluence, where the news comes together on 90.5 WESA. I'm Kevin Gavin. Yesterday, Mayor Ed Ganey announced this month through the beginning of October, the city, quote, will embrace months of peace and nonviolence, end quote. This comes more than a year after his administration announced their plan for peace. Mayor Ed Ganey joins us now. Welcome back to the program, Mayor. Good morning. How you doing? I am well, thank you. All right, the first event uh, you're hosting is Building Bridges, which will be the city's first observance of Build Bridges Day. Uh, part of your plan to address gun violence and safety in the city. Now, some might look at these events and say to tackle gun violence, how does an event with cultural performances, food, school supplies make a difference? I believe it makes a major difference. I think that whenever you can bring the community together to talk about an issue such as gun violence, to talk about issues such as drug overdoses and things of that sort, and how we can make this city safer, I think it's an absolutely wonderful thing. The reason why we moved away from Stop the Violence and the Norm into um, the nonviolent movement is because Stop the Violence, sometimes we say it, but I really don't know the ingredients behind Stop the Violence. Nonviolent movement is a little bit different. We actually understand the agreement, agree, ingredients to go into it, whether we talk about Gandhi, whether we talk about Jesus, or we talk about Martin Luther King. One of the things that they've always done to curb violence is talk about a nonviolent movement. I mean, even when you talk about Nelson Mandela's nonviolent movement, it went from the penitentiary to the presidency. So there's a lot of ingredients in going into nonviolent movements that we can pull out. In this event that you're talking about right now, the more we bring people together, the more we tell people, hey, we want all organizations out there talking about stop the violence and what we need to do to come together. I want our children to see something different than what they see on the corner or what they see on the news, that everything is violent. It's not violent. You can choose your life, not street life. And if we can continue to promote that, we'll continue to grow people up in a way that is safe. So these conversations are part of these events and maybe beyond? Correct beyond now and forever we can't just stop that's what we do when something starts to work then all of a sudden we stop right now we've in violent homicides we're down 20 24 in the city that's a lot of work uh, you know when i first came in we caught the wave coming out of the pandemic and i, I promised everybody you know, we're not what we want to be, but we get better every, every year. When it was our budget, we got to increase the pol we got to increase our police presence. I believe creating a better morale with the police, making sure the contract was done was very important, but also being able to be transparent in our communities, to be able to talk to them about why safety is needed and why we need to be advocating for different gun laws to help keep us safe and also talking to our children. We will be out there every day until we have no homicides at all. And that's our vision. That way we can continue to work because the day that we say, hey, we're doing good. We've already lost. We must continue every day to promote peace in our city if we're going to get to a healthy way of life. 
in the announcement yesterday about the building bridges, you said, quote, coming together to find peaceful opportunities to resolve conflict is key to our vision of zero gun deaths in our city, end quote. Now, if you have political leaders, social and cultural organizations and others coming together, well-meaning, good-hearted people, but if those who are prone to violence, committing violence, or already committing violence— don't come together, how much good can it do? Well, I think it does a lot of good. I think we're talking about two different populations. I think the population you're speaking about is those that they chose this lifestyle. This is the this is the lifestyle that they want to live. There's not too much you can do with that. You're correct there. But we do have a police force that's out there saying that if you commit these crimes and all you got to do are arrest rates is up when it comes to violent um, perpetrators in this city, we will come after you. There's no question about it. But there also has to be another side, not just policing. It also has to be the seating of how we talk talk about peace, how we get communities involved, and how we continue to work with our kids. That's why the relationship with the Pittsburgh Public Schools was so important to me, to have that relationship, to be able to talk to kids, to have interns come in and work in the city, work for the mayor, do all those things to show them a better quality of life. It means something. If I don't expose you to anything new, then you can only see what's on your corner and what you see every day. We have to change that. I want them to see that life can be fruitful. They can put the gun down and get a skill. They can understand that they can choose their life in that street life, that doesn't come just from the policing side. It also comes from the community side. That's why it's important that we have events like that, this, to continue to bring the community together to say, hey, we love our children. We care about our children, and we're going to do what's necessary. The ones you're talking about, I don't think they're all in our youth. I think the ones you're talking about is more into that 25 to 30 range, or we can even say 21 to 30. If you choose that lifestyle, there's not too much we can do. But for the ones that we can create alternative opportunity for, whether that's through our parks and rec, you know we've invested and our recs, um, expanding our hours at Phillips and at Ammons they continue to say we're serious about this alternative lifestyle. Those are the ones that we have to get to before they become that violent nature. So are you giving up on those 25 to 30 year olds or whatever, you know, that are prone to and already committing violence? Absolutely. But you not. already said you're going to yeah. go after the police are going to go yeah, after. Absolutely. We're not giving up on them. If they want our help, we're going to be there and we're going to continue to provide the type of opportunities that lets them know that there's a better life to live. We're not giving up on anybody in the city. Never. But I do understand coming from an environment where I understand gun culture and I understand drug culture, that at the end of the day, I understand that that's a very difficult lifestyle to escape once you go down that road. What I'm talking about is that making sure that the younger generation don't go down that lifestyle, that they see value in their own life. That's the only way we're going to be able to make a change. I can't control the federal scene. I can't can change. I can't change all these mass shootings. I can't do any any of that that we're seeing on the national level. But what I can do is talk about love and peace in this city and how we get there. And that may sound corny, but the reality is that's real when you talk about changing lives. You mentioned city schools. I want to get to that. We've had a lot of conversations about gun violence and public safety on this program with you and others. As part of your plan for peace, partnering with PPS is listed as a commitment. As you well know, we've seen PPS students shot and killed. So ahead of the start of a new school year, what is the city doing right now with PPS to ensure safety and reduce violence for these young people, these young citizens, to be able to go and attend school safely? Sure. I think you're seeing it right now. Us having conversations about peace and about the ability to be nonviolent is a major conversation. It's a conversation that we really haven't dived into in this, in, in this city, but we are now. Secondly is we always have to expose them to a greater quality of life. So when I had the Youth Civic Leadership Program bringing kids from the city schools out to this, joining us, being able, one, I want to thank Partners for Work, and I want to thank CCAC, because part of this, they were able 
able to get college credits. They were able to get a stipend to learn government. And they got to conversate and talk about how they feel about gun violence, about drugs, about schools. All that means something because if I want to be able to analyze and interpret how they feel, I have to hear from them. So now that we did that, that was great. Then we had the paid interns with the, with, with the Pittsburgh Public Schools. So at the paid interns, they came in and actually interned with the city and got paid. That's the first time on in the exit interview when they were leaving out. A lot of them said, you know, I see government different than I've seen it before because I had the ability to work here. That's mind opening. That's positive. And then thirdly is the ability. And I'm going to thank Dr. Walters, the ability to be able to go into the into the school districts and talk to them about, hey, value and why they're valuable and letting them see things that they haven't seen before. All those things improve the quality of life. You know how I know? Because I was one of those kids. I understand that if the only thing that I seen growing up would have been East Liberty, Lorimer and Homewood, then I wouldn't have been exposed to nothing greater. And that would have been my classroom of learning. I don't want the streets to be their classroom. I want them to understand self. I want them to analyze self and be able to grow. And the more you expose a kid that's coming from underserved neighborhoods to a greater quality of life, the more of an opportunity we have to change their life and therefore save it. One more on this. Uh, you use the term eye-opening. Anything that you heard from them, whether it was exit interviews or your experience during the time you said, you said, wow, I wasn't expecting that. I hadn't thought about that. Wow. What can we do to address this? You know, I think the biggest thing is that I heard is that, you know, and I, I you can expect to hear something, but sometimes it's the way it's given to you, right? You can expect to hear something, but sometimes it's the way it's given to you. So, you know, just to hear that a lot of kids don't even want this lifestyle. It's just the fact that the influence is so great because there's there's outside forces that that they listen to. You know, and just being able to say, and I had one young lady tell me, I don't want this lifestyle, but it's all around me. It's like every day I walk out, it's right in front of me. You know, we got to change that. We got to change that. And that's why you always hear me say, these kids didn't create this culture. That's wrong. To point the finger at them and say they created this culture is wrong. We created this culture. Because the reality of 13 and 14 and 15 year, they're too young to create a culture. What they can do is inherit the culture in which we left them. And that's what you see. And that's why we're addressing it in a way that we're addressing it. Mayor Ganey is our guest on The Confluence. When we last had you on at the end of June, the police staffing study was complete, but not yet public. Since it's been released, what's been the reaction? Um, I believe it's been a healthy conversation. I believe I believe it's been a good reaction. It was a blueprint. I said that last time I was here would be a blueprint to let us know exactly which direction we need to go. We're not, of course, it's up to the chief. The reason why I didn't release it earlier is because I wanted the chief to have an opportunity to review it. The, um, what he pulls out of that he feels is necessary to help grow the police force, he has my support 1,000%. The areas that he feels needs to change and that we don't need to take on, we won't take on. This is a blueprint for the chief to be able to talk about which direction he wants to Ago. And I think you heard him say that loud and clear that this is a blueprint. Don't mean we're going to accept all the recommendations, but the recommendations that the chief deems necessary in order to grow this, we're for it. The chief uh, said he supports the budgeted number of officers, 900. Of course, we're well below that right now in active uh, officers, but disagreed with cutting the number of officers on patrol. Your reaction to his reaction? He's a police officer. This is his ministry. This is what he do. That's why we made him chief. This is the work that he does. If he feels that right there we shouldn't be cutting patrol officers, then we're not going to do it. I told everybody when I brought this chief on, I believe in him. 
I want him to be able to lead this police force. I will take the recommendations because this is the work that he does. I'm not going to second guess it unless I have to. But at this moment in time, he's made the right decisions in order to move this uh, police force forward. So I'm very happy with it. And we we, we talk once a week, every week um, to discuss exactly what's going to go on that week and discuss the plans and, and, and what's going to be made. So, I, you know, right now we're doing a, he's doing a wonderful job and I, I believe he will continue to do a wonderful job. All right. So you mentioned uh won't accept all, won't implement all the suggestions, right. uh, but are some that you two are in agreement on that you can uh, implement, and can you tell us about those? The ones that we're in agreement on how the police community, um, how we better get out there from an engagement standpoint to continue to build that healthy relationship, we know that's necessary. I think that we had a great beginning when we talk about the contract and the fact that when we did our last one, we had the FOP, we had people from the community involved in regards to um, talking to the last to, to the last three people that were being interviewed for the position, and I think it was a healthy discussion. So I think just continuing to build that, continuing to be out there, to have officers work in the streets, building those type of relationships, that level of rapport, so that people know who they is, is a wonderful, wonderful gesture, and that's what we'll continue to do. That's how we improve police community relations. Now, does that mean we're going to get there overnight? Let, let me be honest, because I could, you know, I know and I know. It, of course, it's not. We didn't get here overnight. We understand we have a lot we have to do. And I've never promised perfection. What I promise is improvement. And we've done that. And we will continue to improve. You know, just to be able to say 24% down in homicides compared to when we were last year on an uptick of a wave coming out of a pandemic is a great feat. It's a great, great accomplishment. But we are satisfied. Are we satisfied? No, we got so more to go because people are still struggling coming out of this pandemic. You got an increase in COVID right now. You got an incre- increase in hosp- hospital, um, hospital stay. We have to stay laser focused on what we have to to do to continue to drive down violence people might notice some of the changes being implemented they might see more officers literally in the community engaging with the community but other changes they might not notice uh, whether it's uh, switching of uh, emphasis into different departments so when do you think we might see the first one or is there one step that's easier than another well i think just the, the fact that we went out and we um, what you will see is that we do have a new recruit of police officers that's coming in. Um, that's that's going to be major. We also the chief is also switching up how he wants his staff, his command staff to be. We believe that's major. So I think some of the change will be visible. But you, again, you're correct um, in regards to some of the things that happen internally. People may not see. But here's what I believe: when you when you change internally, externally, it's noticed. One more about the study. Uh, City Council is investigating why the contract was awarded to California-based Matrix Consulting. So why was that company selected for this study we've been talking about? We had we had our people look into look into the different people that wanted to do it, and I'm not going to comment too much on that right now. You know, I'm only going to comment on when I, I feel every council has a right to do what they want to do. When this is all said and done, we will we we will definitely comment on it. But we're very very comfortable with Matrix with who we selected. Pittsburgh Mayor Ed Ganey is our guest on the Confluence. Your office has introduced a plan to cut Pittsburgh Land Bank's budget by about half. The funds are being moved uh, from the Land Bank are the federal dollars, the American Rescue Plan Act dollars. Was it bureaucratic delays that held the allocation of these dollars up initially? What was it? 
Yeah, we, we can only talk about when we took office on this. And the one thing that I'll say is that the changes that we made is because we were on a federal, a tight federal deadline, that if we didn't get these funds out in a, in a, in a good time, we would have to send them back. And I didn't want to do that. I did not want to do that at all. Secondly, is I'm happy what's going on with the land bank now. For the first time, you're seeing movement. You're seeing the state law that was passed that Governor Shapiro just signed in that was pushed by Senator Wayne Fontana. That's going to help us be able to move a lot of the um, a lot of the properties out of the land bank and the landmark agreement that we made because we understand the need of affordable housing. And 80 percent of all the parcels that's in land bank right now has to go towards affordable housing. That's how you grow this city. That's how you stabilize our neighborhoods. And we've been laser focused on affordability, such as going out to the market for the bond. And now you're hearing the second part of that. And that is ensuring that 80 percent of the properties, the parcels that's in the land bank are going towards affordable housing. After nine years, uh, after its creation, the land bank had its first piece of property sold at the beginning of June. Might this cut in funding hamper any momentum that is built? No, I think is I think we're building momentum. That that law that was passed was a major piece. It was a major piece that helps the land bank. I believe the fact that you said, like you said, eight years it was established, nothing moved. We got one. We got we got my administration was able to get it to move. And so we're happy about that. And we're going to continue to forge, forge that way to ensure that we're doing what's necessary to get affordable housing and those parcels back on the tax rolls. That bill has to do with sheriff sales. Uh, that, but that's not going to tackle the entire problem, though, is no, it? No, no, no. But there's no one that's going to cure all, right? We, there has to be multiple strategies going into this, and we understand that. But we can't say no to a strategy that's going to assist. The reality is every strategy that we put in place is angled to be able to deal with affordable housing in the way that we're building in this city. If we look, if we look at it from one way, we will not win. The land bank in the beginning was too political. We were able to smooth a lot of that stuff out and able to move properties now. And we will continue to do that because we we understand the need to be able to build more affordability in this city. Moving forward, what will the city be doing to ensure that property can move forward, can yeah. move more easily between the land bank, uh, the URA, and the city? Um, is it better communications? What it is? What is it? You know, communications is one, structure is another. Um, the ability to have more de defined, definitive roles in regards to how to move the properties is extremely important. Infrastructure is everything when you're putting it together. The better the infrastructure, the better the product. We understand that, and that's what we're building now. You're saying there's been disagreement in how to move forward? Under my administration or before us? Throughout the eight, nine years. I I'm not going to speak about the eight, nine years because I, I wasn't there. It wouldn't be fair. But through us, this is what we came in and tackled. You know, you know, like we know, we have not kicked any of these issues down the road. We have been able to deal with each and every one of them. This is just one of them that we've had to deal with when we took office. We have, and now you've seen the first property move. You see a structure being able to align. You see us getting together and advocating at the state level to get the McDo bill passed so that at the end of the day we would have more access to how we move properties. Everything we've done since we've been there concerning the land bank is to be able to move properties forward. That is, that's a wonderful thing, and that's what we have to continue to do. We have just a couple of minutes left with Mayor Ed Ganey. Uh, City Council gave preliminary approval this week to your proposed Office of Equal Protection. Mm -hmm. Pennsylvania, of course, as we all know, has a Human Relations Commission. Why did the city need its own dedicated office? I believe because we want to be more focused. We want to be laser focused on how we deal with the disability community in regards to access. Also, when we talk about reentry, second time people coming back out, we don't want them to feel like at the end of the day that there's no assistance out there. And when we talk about disruptive properties and the ability to be able to go after disruptive properties that we feel, again, are adding to violence in our neighborhood, that's the reason why we did it.
did it. We did it because we want to make sure under equal protection we are able to provide the necessary the necessary um, services that will help reduce violence. Excuse me. That will help reduce violence. That will also deal with the fact that. If, if we're dealing with the disability community, then we're making the right moves. We brought on two new people, so we continue to move in the right direction when we talk about the Office of Equal Protection. Well, we brought on two new people, because yes. I was going to ask you, is this just a reassigning of people well, we within your administration? We actually brought in somebody to deal that's from the disability community to deal directly with the disability community. And then we brought somebody to be able to assist Zeke in ensuring that we're moving forward on the Office of Equal Protection. Uh it seems like right now the office doesn't have much of a fiscal impact on the city, but some have suggested it will need to grow to be effective. First of all, do you agree with that, and do you plan to budget for more positions in upcoming budget talks, which are really, as you know, right, right around right. the corner? Well, you know, we'll do what we continue to do to assess everything. The reason why we've been able to make positive moves and be able to ensure that decisions that we made are sound is because we assess correctly which direction we need to do. We will continue to do that. So it would be premature for me to answer that right now. What I will say, though, is that I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied with the direction we're moving when it comes to in, into the Office of Equal Protection. Just about, I'm sorry, but just about 30 seconds left. So uh, the description is it's an office, an enforcement and compliance office that seeks accountability and workers' yeah. rights, civil rights, and public safety. Will there be law enforcement officers involved or not for enforcement? We'll see. We'll see. That's part of the assessment right now. As you know, we're putting it together. We're, we're looking at certain cases and where we need law enforcement, we will have them. Where we need community people, we will have them. I think that's going to be determined as we go forward. Pittsburgh Mayor Ed Ganey, thanks so much for your time today. Before, you, before we leave, I just wanted to give you a proclamation from the city. Um, and I wanted to say, whereas the confluence has graced us, our airways for seven years, good days and good news. And through it, through thoughtful discussions and knowing that when I come on here, I have to be on my game because this is not a confluence that's about got you. It's a confluence about education and knowledge and the ability to let the listeners know that we're going to talk about things that impact their life. And whereas the dedicated team of Kevin, Kevin Gavin, Laura Satui, Satui, thank you, and Mary Lee Williams have worked tirelessly to cultivate an atmosphere of open dialogue and inclusivity, bringing together a confluence of local voices, stories, and experience. And whereas we celebrate the, mm, is where we f- celebrate the final episode of the confluence, recognizes its an Im- immense impact and the permanent mark that it has left on this city. It is a great, it is with great pleasure that I give you this as your day in the city, in the, in the most livable city. Thank you, Kevin, for all you do. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. And I thank you on behalf of Mary Lee and Laura. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I I said it to you privately. I said it publicly to your staff. You know, when it comes to interviewing, um, I really appreciate the fact the way you educate the population in regards. This isn't a got you show. This is if you don't know your stuff when you come on this show, you will find you will look like you are, are incompetent. That's what I enjoyed about coming on this show. Thank you. Thank you. Seven years ago, my then-colleague Marcus Charleston and I created the Weekly Confluence, a reporter's roundtable on Fridays. Two years later, Megan Harris, Kylie Kaczynski, and I created the Daily Confluence to air after Morning Edition. We kept the regular conversations with reporters, but we wanted to share the amazing stories of so many people who quietly make a major difference in our region to allow others to speak for themselves to tell their stories. 
We wanted the Confluence to be a contributor to the journalism landscape for this region. We hope we had some success. Hello, Confluence listeners. This is 90.5 WESA reporter Kate Giamarisi. Hi, my name is Rich Lord, and I'm the managing editor at Public Source. This is reporter Margaret J. Krause. I'm Marcus Charleston, former producer of Essential Pittsburgh, WESA's daily magazine of news, newsmakers, and the arts, and the weekly edition of The Confluence, where the news comes together. I'm proud of those taglines, which express the importance of the shows to Pittsburgh and the region at a time when media outlets are diminishing or disappearing. If you listen to this show regularly, I don't need to tell you that a healthy community needs robust local journalism. I also don't need to tell you that the confluence has been central to our region's conversations these last seven years, covering everything from politics and government to the arts, nonprofits, and advocates who work to improve our community. I've been part of Pittsburgh media since the mid-90s, and back then a handful of large gatekeeper outlets basically drove the news in town. That changed as new media flourished and created a lot more opportunities and options for news consumers. Uh, There was a new problem, though, which is how does the public find the most relevant, insightful, and credible stories in a fragmented media landscape? Thankfully, we've had the confluence. Uh, The team there combed through stories and lined up reporters and newsmakers to talk about the key issues facing the region. As reporters for WESA, our job is to go out and amplify community voices, to talk with people as they face challenges and celebrate successes, dream up new ideas, and generally navigate the world around them. We're supposed to provide a space where people get to speak for themselves with all the important context. The Confluence provided that space for so many people and critical issues. There was time to really get into the nuance, which a healthy media landscape needs most of all. Hello, Confluence listeners. It's Kylie Kaczynski, current reporter, former Confluence producer. You know, I've been lucky to be a radio producer on more than half a dozen programs in Pittsburgh since 2015. And from that experience, I can tell you that there's no program like the Confluence on the FM or the AM dial in this city. Public radio allows for a flexible format because of listeners like you, but this isn't a pledge drive pitch. Another reason the Confluence has been a home for all things Pittsburgh is because of the host. I've been honored to work with so many heavyweights in Pittsburgh talk radio, but none have been as gracious, patient, and open-minded as Kevin. My name is Megan Harris, and I'm the host of CityCast Pittsburgh. But I would not have this platform if I hadn't first worked for this show, for The Confluence. I was at the station for five years and lucky enough to work really closely with Kevin from the start. He and others here at the station taught me the foundations of how to talk to people, not just in person, which I had done for a long time, but live on the radio and with dignity and humanity. My name is Laura Satsui. I'm producer on The Confluence. Journalism and public media are so important to this region because we hold space to share perspectives, hold people accountable, and speak truthfully about what's happening in the world, the good and the bad. I'm so grateful for my colleagues at WESA and The Confluence um, for your efforts to tell these stories every day. Um, Thank you for listening and for following along. Hi, I'm Mary Lee Williams. I'm the editor-producer on The Confluence on WESA. And I love public radio because no matter what, no matter how much money you have, no matter where you are, you can turn the dial and there will be education there for you. And that matters to me. So, thanks. 
And for today, that is the confluence where the news comes together on 90.5 WESA. Many times during my 46 and a half years of public radio news, I've been asked, what do I like most? Well, the answer is easy. It's interviewing, talking with guests, learning, and sharing that knowledge with listeners. I'm so grateful to the more than 10,000 people I've interviewed through the years, including more than 2,500 on the confluence. Thank you so much to our listeners. Without you, there never would have been a confluence. And without you, there's no need for public radio. I've had the honor to work with dozens and dozens of top-notch journalists and broadcasters, first at WDUQ and for the last 12 years at WESA. No time to thank them all, but I want to single out a few. Mark Newpar, a great news director, the amazing reporters at WESA, Producer Marcus Charleston, a pro's pro. I've worked with Helen Wigger for 26 years as program operations manager. She kept WDUQ and then WESA running smoothly. To my friends and colleagues at our sister station, WYEP, you bring joy to our community. A special shout out to Megan Harris, now the host of the CityCast podcast, and to Kylie Kaczynski, now WESA city government reporter. Megan, Kylie, and I created the Daily Confluence. Partnering with them rejuvenated me. We say the Confluence is where the news comes together, but Megan and Kylie were how and why the Confluence came together. Thank you. And to my current partners, Mary Lee and Laura, what can I say? You joined the team during the toughest days of the pandemic, but with your strength and talent, not only did the Confluence survive, it thrived and you were the driving force to return it to five days a week. I will miss working with you every day and sharing stupid dad jokes that you graciously laughed at. I look forward to following the next steps in your careers as you share your wonderful talents with other audiences. Finally, a very personal note. Thank you to my biggest supporter, my best friend and wife of 39 years, and a fantastic radio news host, Alexandria Chaklos. Thank you, sweetie. So one last time, thanks to our team, Addison Deal, Laura Satsui, and Mary Lee Williams. I'm Kevin Gavin. No next time. So I wish you many, many good days of good news. Thank you and goodbye.